Um, it is the second Sunday of Advent, and we are reading about the light and salvation that Jesus brings. Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 6. Listen to me, all you in distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by name. He made my words of judgment as sharp as a sword. He has hidden me in the shadow of his hand. I am like a sharp arrow in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant Israel, and you will bring me glory. I replied, but my work seems so useless. I have spent my energy for nothing and to no purpose. Yet I leave it all in the Lord's hand. I will trust God for my reward. And now the Lord speaks, the one who formed me in my mother's womb to be his servant, who commissioned me to bring Israel back to him. The Lord has honored me, and my God has given me strength. He says, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles, and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Advent means arrival. The arrival of something or someone special, important, longed for. For us as Christians, for followers of Christ, this is a time in the church calendar that we observe every year where we contemplate what it means that Jesus arrived. It's a gift to us that Advent comes every year. A gift that every year we can spend intentional time considering what it means to that we worship a God who arrived, a God who comes near. I also sometimes wonder if the every yearness of Advent, combined with this desperate dash to the end of the year, causes us to miss the invitation of Advent, causes us to go kind of on autopilot for the days leading up to December 25th. I so appreciated last Sunday, uh, if you were here, you heard Nate Rubright preach, and I loved the way that he talked about the goal of the season of Advent, that the goal is to allow ourselves to feel something during these weeks, to connect somehow with what's going on in our hearts, and to allow ourselves to be changed by the arrival of Jesus. I so appreciated his reminder that these four passages of Isaiah that we're looking at these weeks of Advent, these things that we call servant songs, that they're poetry. (laughs) Poetry is meant to help us feel something. So what a gift to spend these Sundays together in these poems that can help us connect to what's happening in our own hearts, to connect with what's going on inside of us in this season where we contemplate what it means that Jesus came near and that he will come near again, that he will return. I want to reread the passage that Judy just read for us. I'm not going to put it on the screen this time. I just want to invite you to listen. Close your eyes and consider what this Hebrew poem is meant to make you feel. Consider what words or phrases jump out to you. Consider what resonates with you as you hear. So let's take a moment Just breathe in and out a couple times, quiet our hearts, and then we're going to read again. I will read again the second servant song, Isaiah 49, 1 through 6.
Listen to me, O coastlands. Give attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet, surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of my Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, the Lord says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is God's word. This poem was written to people in exile, people who were far from home, people who were captives in a foreign land. So when they heard this poem, they probably heard this poem as a promise that God would deliver them from their captivity. They were hoping for a rescuer, someone to bring them back home, And this poem must have sounded to them like a description of the person God would use to bring them out of their Babylonian exile. Words as sharp as a sword, an arrow that had been polished, a polished arrow has been just crafted beautifully to remove defects, to ensure accuracy. A weapon that's been hidden away until the strategic time, ready to strike when it is most efficient and effective. The people of Israel no doubt heard in these words a continuation of the promise that God would rescue them from their exile, just as he'd rescued them from Egypt. They may have imagined a leader who would come and deliver them from Cyrus and Babylon, the same way Moses delivered them from their slavery to Pharaoh all those years ago. Surely their delivery from exile would bring God glory. That's how God would be glorified. Surely their return to Israel would cause his name to be known. As you heard those words about this servant that God had raised up for the perfect time, the servant whose words are and actions are strategic and effective, I wonder what you might imagine this servant of God bringing deliverance from? What promises of God are you expectantly waiting for? God had promised to bring the Israelites back to their home. So they read this poem as that. That's the beauty of poetry, right? As we said last week, it it evokes something unique in all of us. So what promises of God are you thinking about as you hear that this servant has come exactly at the right time to do what God promised? 
Have you read promises about God providing a way out of temptation? And you're hoping he will do that for you. Have you read that God is a healer? And you're waiting for God to heal. Have you read that God is near to the brokenhearted, that he's binding up their wounds? And are you waiting for God to bind the broken heart of someone you love? Have you read that God cares about widows and orphans and justice, and you're waiting for God to bring justice? When you hear that God is sending a servant to effectively do what God has promised, what do you think of? What do you long for? Part of the point of this season of Advent is to acknowledge that God has promised to fix what's broken, to take our longings to God and confess that we believe that he can fill all of our longings, that he can bind every brokenness, that he can heal every sickness, that he can make right every injustice. So this poem speaks of a servant who will come in just the right way at just the right time to fulfill God's plan, to bring God glory. And that's encouraging. Just as it's encouraging to think about God's promises to heal, to bring justice, to restore, all of that is so encouraging. And I love that this poem in Isaiah It doesn't stay only with the encouraging promise. It acknowledges the current broken reality. It acknowledges that these promises of God, we haven't seen them be fulfilled yet. Some of the promises are still unfulfilled. In verse 4, he says, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing, for vanity, This week, I read an article by a fellow pastor who talked about the tension of seeking joy at Christmas, even while we acknowledge reality. He said, everyone wants and deserves some Christmas cheer. Everyone deserves their holiday movie ending. The holiday couple who met serendipitously, they end up together. The old Scrooge softens. The Grinch grows a heart. Yet every Advent, there is the preacher's dilemma. As beautiful a season as Advent is, each time I ascend to the pulpit, I think, should I tell them the truth? Should I remind my lovely people that the world is on fire? I think Joshua Gritter touches on what Isaiah is saying here. The people of Israel knew that God had promised to deliver them, but it hadn't happened yet the world was still on fire. The words of the servant here are giving voice to the fear of the people of Israel. God, you promised, but are you going to come through? Because remember, even before the Israelites were sent into captivity, God had already promised them that he would bring them back. But a generation lived and died in captivity. And as much as the people must have been encouraged to be reminded of God's servant who is going to come and do some kind of really remarkable thing to glorify God, they must have been wondering if God had forgotten them. Because all of his promises 
seem to have come to nothing so far. As we come to Advent, I probably don't have to tell you, my lovely people, that the world is on fire. You know. You're living it. God, I've prayed. I've had faith. I've trusted you, but the cancer isn't gone. My child still hasn't found their way back to you. I can't seem to say no to this addiction. My boss still makes my life miserable. I am still depressed. People still make racist comments to me. My family still won't talk to me. My marriage is still failing. Didn't God promise to heal us? To bind up our wounds? To provide a way out of temptation? To provide justice to the vulnerable? But the world is still on fire. The words of the servant here give voice to the unsettled place where we sit in history, where not all of God's promises have come to pass. And Advent invites us to come clean about how frustrating that is. Advent invites us to come clean about how desperate we sometimes feel, caught between the already promises of God and the not yet promises of God. Advent invites us to open up to God if we feel like maybe he's forgotten us, to tell God about our despair over what it doesn't seem to us like he's done yet, the frustration we feel at our efforts to follow him, seemingly coming to nothing. Advent invites us to feel our despair and our frustration and our anxiety. We don't have to pretend that the world isn't on fire. This Advent morning, in this sacred space, maybe the best thing you can do is admit how you feel to God. Cry out to him about the promises that you are still waiting on him to fulfill. But wait, there's more. Verse 4 turns on one little word, yet. Yet. The world is on fire. God hasn't done everything we've hoped that he will yet. Yet. And yet, the servant says, my right is with the Lord, and my recompense is with my God. That's kind of a flowery, poetic way of saying (laughs) that the servant knows that it's up to God to judge the outcome of his efforts. It might seem to us like nothing is happening, but the servant knows that God can see what we don't. Just like there is growth happening under the soil long before we see a sprout, the servant tells us that the promises of God are active and effective, even when we can't see them working. The servant reminds us that regardless of what we see, what God says is still true. God has still created the servant to help him bring the people back to God. He had still been created with this very purpose in mind. The servant was still honored by God, strengthened by God, sent by God to accomplish God's purposes, even though it might look on the outside like God's purposes weren't any closer to being accomplished. And then God speaks to the servant. He says, 
It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. This is remarkable. God says to the servant, not only are you going to accomplish this this thing that seems like it's too much and that it might not ever happen, not only are you going to accomplish that, actually that thing that seems too big is actually too small. It's so little. It's so easy. So instead, I'm going to send my servant to rescue not only Israel, but the entire world, every nation, every people group. Israel was hoping to be brought back from captivity in Babylon. God had in mind the salvation of the entire world. I love that. This is like some of us who spent like hours trying to get just like one or two tickets to see Taylor Swift before Ticketmaster crashed, right? Just hoping that you could get yourself a ticket and somehow Ticketmaster gave you enough tickets to bring everyone you know to see Taylor Swift with you. That's crazy. You thought you wouldn't be able to get one, but instead you got like 200. Wow, that's crazy. And through his servant, God says he's going to save not just Israel, but the whole world. He has in mind something much bigger than the release from captivity for Israel. He has in mind the very undoing of the fall. He has in mind all creation being restored to its former glory, all people being invited back into a relationship with God. God's servant will be the means through which God fixes absolutely everything. And as Christians, we read these servant songs as being about Jesus. When we read about the servant, we see Jesus. And so through Jesus, the whole world will be saved. Through Jesus, people will be set free from bondage. Through Jesus, people who have lived their whole lives walking in darkness will be invited to step into the light. In the New Testament, Paul says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen, the let it be, is spoken to us, by us, to the glory of God. Every promise God makes is yes in Jesus. That is a guarantee. This means that not only will God bring healing for your body, but in Jesus, he set in motion the way to heal every body. This means that God not only wants to invite your child back to him, he wants every person to know him. God not only wants to bring justice to your situation, God wants to upend every system, every situation in existence that is unjust. God isn't only concerned with you. God wants to answer your prayers and the prayers of everyone. God loves everyone. Every single person that has ever lived or ever will is someone that God loves. And his plan is to invite all of them into his family. God has something so much bigger than the thing you're praying for and hoping for. God's promises are yes in Jesus, and God's promises are certain. We're just waiting for their arrival. 
That's why at Advent we celebrate not only the first arrival of Jesus as a baby in a manger. Advent has historically been, in the life of the church, a time to look forward with longing to Christ's second arrival when he's going to make everything right. At Advent, we experience both what uh, St. John of the Cross described as consolation and desolation. Desolation is the utter sense of despair at everything that's wrong, everything that's broken, everything that's hopeless, everything that drains life from you. Consolation is the deep peace that passes all understanding that we have when we consider the fact of God's promises, the fact of the coming restoration of all things, the feeling of God's presence and love. At Advent, we experience desolation and consolation. We hold grief and gratitude together. We hold despair in one hand and stubborn faith in the other. This is Advent. The acknowledgement of our longing, the admission of our despair, and the comfort we have in the coming arrival of Jesus. It's all of it at once. Advent invites us to believe that all of God's promises will come true in Jesus. To believe that God's promises will come true regardless of what it looks like right now. To believe that God's promises will come true even if we've been waiting a really long time. To believe that God is indeed the one who is able to do exceedingly more than all we could ever ask or imagine. Advent invites us to believe that all of God's promises come true in Jesus. Each week here at Harbor, we try to provide, I hope you're noticing, a few moments throughout the morning of just quiet, silence. Moments to just take stock of what's happening inside. And this morning, during this season of Advent, I want that for you. I know how crazy the month of December is for all of us. I know that. And it feels more important now than ever that during our time together as a community, we provide some space for silence. So we're going to take the next few moments to sit in silence. We're going to take these moments to tell God something about the state of our hearts this morning. What promises are you waiting on God to fulfill? Where do you feel despair and how slow God's promise seems to be in coming? Do you wonder if God's forgotten you? Do you wonder if he will really keep his promises? Or is there any way that you have made God's ability small in your mind? And you need God to remind you that he can do not only what you're asking and hoping for, but exceedingly more than all you could ask or imagine. Take these moments. Take these things to God. Let's hold out our despair and our joy, our hopelessness and our faith. And let's offer God our hearts this morning and listen to what he says. So let me pray, and then we're going to have just some moments to sit in silence.
God, thank you that you are a God that arrives. You are a God that comes near. You know that in a room this size, with our friends and family watching at home online, God, in a group this size, we are kind of all over the map this morning. Some of us are rejoicing because we've seen the evidence this week that your promises do come true. Some of us are feeling heavy and weighted at the things that we're still waiting for. God, we know that you are, you make promises and you keep them. And we know that you made us and you, you want to hear everything that's on our hearts. There's nothing we need to be afraid to say to you. And you know that we need the encouragement of all that is coming. And so God, will you move this morning, Holy Spirit, in the way only you can? Will you, in these next few moments, free up what needs to be freed up, whisper what needs to be whispered, and meet all of us right now in these moments of silence? Thank you that you are a God that comes near. So we anticipate that even right now. In Jesus' name, amen.